So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. They set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Good morning, church. What an awesome place to be this morning. Amen. I'm going to be talking from 1 Kings uh, 17 mostly today, so if you want to follow along in that. I'm going to be talking about the uh, prophet Elijah today. Um, we are first introduced to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 after we learn about a king called King Ahab. Now, if you look back in 1630 of uh, 1 Kings, we find out that King Ahab is a terrible king. Uh, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Sounds like a pretty terrible dude, actually. Um, he also loved to provoke God by setting up idols, uh, worship to idols, in, in the uh, temple. So, pretty bad guy to provoke God. We all know what happens after that. Now, the name Elijah means the Lord is my God. So, he was destined to do great things with a name like that. Now, Baal was a God that he set up a idol to. And Baal was the god of fertility and rain and dew, actually. So in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah tells Ahab that the Lord my God told him that there would be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, I'm sure the king would hear that, and that's pretty big news. Like, I'm not going to have any rain for a while? That's terrible. So then God tells Elijah to go east to the Kareth Ravine where the Lord would provide for him. Elijah didn't leave so much to escape Ahab's ruthlessness, but more to demonstrate the immediate effects of God's threat. So God wasn't messing around. Elijah goes and does what God tells him to do. And of course, God provides for him in verse 6. It says in verse 6, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, even at that time, kings were very lucky to have meat every day. But here's God providing for Elijah. He gives him meat every day, and that's pretty rare back then. So this prophet of God is then told to move again. But this time for obvious reasons, because there's a drought and he can't drink from the brook anymore. So he has to leave, more or less. But then God tells him about a widow in Zarephath who would supply food for him. And we find out in verse 9 says, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So God tells Elijah, this prophet, hey, I've got this peop- I have these people set up for you to help you carry on my word while the unfaithful people back in Israel don't do as I say. So again, this shows that God has so much love that he would save and love us, each one of us, if we just listen and follow him. Now, this widow is outside of her house gathering sticks when he calls, when Elijah calls to her and asks if he could have some water and then asks for some bread. She responds in verse 12 of chapter 17 by saying, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it, and these are her words, and die. Because she didn't have any left. She had just a little bit of oil and just a little bit of flour. So she knew that this was probably going to be her last meal. 
So she's sitting there probably thinking, man, this guy out of nowhere comes up. I have only a little bit of food left, and you're asking me for it. That's, that's probably terrible. She's like, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? But um, she was gathering sticks most likely to take home as a fire starter, hopefully not to eat. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I'm just guessing that. Now, Elijah tells her to not be afraid. He says, go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small cake out of what you have. Again, she's probably thinking, okay, I have my last meal here. Me and my son are just going to die because we don't have any food left, and there's this drought that's been going on forever. And this guy's saying, hey, make me a cake. Like, come on, really, dude? I'm trying to eat my last meal here with my son. Um, Then he tells her to make something for her and her son because the Lord says in verse 14, Go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small cake of bread for, for me out of what you have and bring it to me. For this is what the Lord of God Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So, God has challenged Baal, this other god, to a rain battle, if you will, and to prove who is the one true God. Now, this shows just how awesome God can be. He can be very tough and strong by challenging other people, but he can be very compassionate by filling jars of flour and oil. So, right now, we have a lot of people who are cursing God because there's a drought. But then we have this this widow, single mother, who is probably saying, well, we can stick around for a little bit longer because I have a whole jar full of oil and a whole jar full of flour until it rains again. So you guys can go ahead and stay in in drought. I'll keep my food. But it, it provides for all of her, Elijah, and her family in verse 15. And in verse 16, it says, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. God miraculously provided this for this non-Israelite woman who in an act of faith in the, in the Lord's word had laid her life on the line. She knew she was going to die, but she heard God's voice. He gave her food from heaven while he was withholding fruit from his unfaithful people in the promised land. Now, there was a warning about this in Deuteronomy 32:21. It says, they made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. Now they're talking about God's unchosen people, not Israelites. At that, when that was talking about. In verse 17 of 1 Kings 17, the woman's son becomes ill and gets worse and worse, and then eventually stops breathing. So the woman says to Elijah, "What do you have against me?" She's wondering if Elijah's presence in her house has brought attention to God of her sin. And the death of her son was going to be the punishment. Now, of course, this woman's thinking the prophet has brought the bad kind of attention of God on her house. We all want the good kind of attention, like, hey, he cleans all the time, or the bathroom's well picked up, his room's picked up. We want that kind of attention, but the bad attention we don't want. But Elijah calmly says in verse 19, give me your son. He then takes the boy upstairs, and he starts to pray over him. In verse 20, he cries out, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And in verse 21, he went before the people and said, Oh, man, sorry, I skipped up. In verse 21, he talks about how he falls over onto the the boy and then cries out three times, Lord, let this boy's life return to him. So this woman who thinks her son is dead because of what she has done, has got to be feeling awful right now. She's thinking because of her sin that her son is being, um, her son is, di- is dead because of her. And at that time, a lot of lives weren't brought back to 
life at that time. So she's probably thinking, okay, this guy says he's going to do it. I don't know. Her faith can be a little bit shaky. So God hears Elijah's cry, and the boy's life was returned to him. Elijah takes him downstairs and shows the woman that he is alive. It takes this act of God to show the woman the power of God and convinces her that the words of the Lord are true. God plays a huge part in these people's lives to show the widow who needed to see God's power and Elijah praying to God to bring back her son so that this next generation would, would see the awesomeness of God too. I'm sure that kid had quite the testimony. Now, back to the drought. This drought lasted for three and a half years and then God tells Elijah to go back to Ahab and say, hey, there's going to be rain. So what he does, he has this plan. He says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to prove God is, is uh, the only true God in existence. So he tells King Ahab to go gather all of the prophets of Baal, which are 450 of them, and then 400 of the prophets of Asherah. And they go up to Mount Carmel, starting in chapters uh, 18, verse 16. They go up to Mount Carmel because that's where the drought uh, effects are going to be least seen. So it's up real high, so there's probably going to be a little bit of green up there. Um, there's going to be a little bit of dew, probably. And they think, um, Elijah's thinking that the way, the power of Baal is going to be easily seen up there because it's nature. So it should be easy for Baal to come and prove that he's the God. But he sets up, he chooses a location for very strategic reasons. We'll find out here in just a minute. Um, Elijah tells them, he sets up in front of all these people and says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left. Then he tells them to sacrifice a bull to the Lord Baal, and he will sacrifice one to God, and whoever answers with fire is God. So these people did that. They went first. Elijah let them go first, of course, because he probably knew the outcome. But they were they, they set up an altar. They cut up the bull and everything else. They did all that, and they were shouting and dancing around. And Elijah, I can just see him back there kind of like this, like, well, maybe he's sleeping. He's, he, you need to wake him up, so shout louder. So they start shouting louder and everything. They go throughout the night and throughout the day, and nothing happens. Then uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 36 and 37 says, at that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So we know, of course, our God answers by sending fire down and does everything that, that Elijah wants him to. Then in verse 39, all the people say they fell prostrate. And prostrate means they fell on their face. So they're all laying on their face saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So God answers him. And of course, according to Mosaic law, uh, Elijah had to deal with the prophets. And in verse 40, he takes care of them. So then Elijah tells King Ahab, oh, hey, by the way, heavy rain's coming. You guys are good because since I proved my point, you guys need to uh, praise God. So he does. There's heavy rain. And then Elijah bows down and prays to thank God for the, lifting the curse of the drought. Now, this great prophet always listened to God, which led him to do great things. But he didn't stop there. If we skip ahead a little bit to 1 Kings 19, we find about um, Elijah's predecessor. He knows his time on earth is coming to an end. So he has to find someone to carry on the word of God, the work of him. So enter Elisha. 
Elisha comes in. He's working with 12 yoke of oxen, which by, the, by those means to then and today, that's a lot of beef. I don't care where you look at it, but that's a lot of beef. That's 24 oxen. That's a lot. And so at that time, there was, um, there was a sign of wealthy that you could, you could buy that many oxen and the equipment to go with it. But in my experience, I've never met a rich farmer, so I don't know where that changed. But um, 24 oxen is a lot, of, uh, a lot of beef. And the Bible says in verse 19 that Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around him. Now, that, what that meant was that he's saying, hey, I choose you as a predecessor. I need you to carry on the work of the Lord. And then Elisha runs after him and says, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye. Then I will come with you. Then all your, par- all your parents are probably out there like, wow, geez, when my kids left, they just kind of jetted out the door and didn't even say anything. But uh, it seems reasonable enough, though, right? If a kid is leaving to follow someone for the rest of their life, they just want to let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. It seems pretty reasonable. But in verse 20, Elijah says, what have I done to you? He's thinking that he's just going to run off. He's just telling him that, saying, hey, I'll kiss my mom goodbye, and he's just going to be gone, not come back. But Elijah instead shows ridiculous amount of faith in burning his oxen and all the equipment before he leaves. Now, I just said that it was a sign of wealthiness with all that stuff. But Elijah just says, I'm done with my past life. I'm ready to follow you and do what the Lord has called me to do. Now, he gives up everything in his former life. He says, I don't need it, any of it. And if you think about it, he burns in the burden of 24 oxen, ripping off the yokes heavy enough for 24 oxen. That's a lot. Now, folks, we have an awesome generation coming up of faithful kids, all the way down from Bible Adventureland, all the way up to the kids I get to hang out with in high school and middle school. The same kids who chose the songs, who talked, who prayed, and talked about the Lord's Supper. Those words, they were speaking to God. It's one of the most awesome parts of being a youth minister is getting to hear what's on these kids' hearts and and when they pray, they, when they talk to God, it's, it's, it's comforting to know that the next generation, the next, they're going to be the next deacons, they're going to be the next ministers, they're going to be the next elders. Very soon, church. And they are a faithful, faithful people. Now, I read an autobiography of one of my favorite professional wrestlers a while back. His name, uh, he gave his life to Christ and became a minister. His name's Ted DiBiase. He had a funny word, a funny way of, of coming out with the word ego. How we need to set our egos aside to work with one another to grow the kingdom. He said, ego, when you have that, you are edging God out. And, God, and church, I know everybody here knows that we are not supposed to keep God out of anything. We need to keep him in. So as we continue to work with one another to grow this kingdom, we need to take our cloaks off and find an Elisha to teach them how God has, has uh, touched our lives. And we need to teach others to get a deeper understanding of God. Now, I've said it before. When, we, when the kingdom grows of something we've done, we don't win. God wins. And that's, that's a victory we all can get behind. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for, for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the understanding of that word, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to, to lead us to grow your kingdom. We thank you for the many blessings that the youth group in this church has got. Lord, we pray that you continue to bless us and have all the spiritual leaders here at Harland find their own Elisha to teach and, and grow and, and grow in Christ and be closer to you, God. Now, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this weather that we know 
is because of your power. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you are needing prayers of any kind, if you have a God is good story, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.